We hope your 2021 is off to a great start. Lead to Win is on a short hiatus, so today enjoy one of our most listened to episodes. We'll be back with all new content soon. In the meantime, enjoy our new tool, the Ideal Work and Life Designer. Download it for free at michaelhyatt.com designer. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt-Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. Today, we're going to talk about a problem every, and I do mean every, leader faces, resistance to change. Oh, man, this is a gut punch because we've all been there. I know I have been there myself. And it's hard because just this week, just this week, growth of any kind requires change. And in a business context, that change could mean your team or your structure, your product lines, marketing strategy, you name it. It's almost like anything is fair game for change. And as a leader, you can usually see beyond the change, you might even be excited about it. But generally, your team has a way harder time with it. Um, That means when you go to roll out a big initiative or a big goal or new vision, you get a lot of crossed arms and sideways glances, and it can be really frustrating. It can be, and today we're going to help with that. We've identified three distinct challenges you're going to face when you introduce change in your organization, and we're going to show you exactly how to deal with them. But first, we've got to bring in Dr. Larry Wilson. Doctor. If only. (laughs) (laughs) We've elevated you. You used to be just the man. Now you're a doctor. (laughs) What's next, Larry? I'll take the promotion as long as there's a raise attached to it. Oh, oops. (laughs) You're back in the man. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So you guys have been around long enough to introduce a lot of change over your years in business. Give me your best change fail story. Okay, so this happened uh, toward the end of last year. We've been working on a new employment agreement for our team. So this is really being uh, worked on for existing employees to update the agreement that they signed when we hired them. And we've been working to clarify kind of our official policy around people's outside business interests, work, you know, related things. Can they consult? Can they, um, you know, have a platform of some kind? What if it's adjacent to our space? You know, all that sort of stuff, kind of intellectual property from our perspective. So I thought I had it figured out. We'd gone through several iterations. Our HR director and I had, had really worked through it. And then we go to the meeting to share it with the leadership team, thinking it's just like you know, no a, a formality that we're going to share it and move on to something else. And it was like, a full stop. There were oh boy. there were con- some <laughs> considerations that we hadn't thought of, things that people were interested in doing that were not even on our radar, that were not addressed in the policy. And it was a really tense hour conversation that I was not prepared for. And I mean, I think we did okay, like just listening and taking the feedback and all of that, but it did not go like I thought. And we really had to press pause and we're going to have to to rework what we're thinking um, to get alignment because we just were not there, you know, in the way that I thought. So I, I really misjudged that situation and kind of ran into a brick wall. <laughs> well, I think in those kind of situations too, when you look back on them, you think, oh, I wish I'd done such right. and so. And that's really what we're here to talk about today. Right. Is, you know, how can you do it right from the get go? And, and so you don't have to redo it. Because I've had experiences like that in my past too, and every leader does. You know, I, I, my memory's not quite what Megan's is, so I've conveniently forgotten most of those things that didn't <laughs> go so well. But I promise you, I've had a lot of those too, and I think most leaders have. 
Well, we're talking about these challenges to managing change. There are three of them. And I I should point out, uh, Michael, you you talk a lot about this in your upcoming book, The Vision-Driven Leader, and tackle some other aspects of rolling out vision. So certainly, we're going to hit on that a little bit. But there's there's more on the subject really coming in the book. There is, including things like selling up, which is to your boss, selling across to your peers, selling down throughout the entire organization, selling outside to customers and clients. But today is really about enrolling your team in any kind of change, whether that's you know embracing a new vision for your company or just some tweak or some new benefit. It could be a variety of things. But whenever there's a change, there's the potential for blowback. And we want to avoid that. So today we're saying every leader can overcome resistance to change by addressing these three challenges. Let's get to challenge number one, which is the change challenge. I think the reality is that change is necessary for growth. You know, you are not going to have a thriving organization without change, but that of course presents a problem. You know, you're you're just going to run into this over and over again because if you're evolving, then your team's changing all the time. How your team is structured is probably changing all the time. What their responsibilities are, the kinds of products that you offer, and who's in charge of those. Your marketing strategies, your desired impact in the world, or your financial impact, and of course, vision itself. You know, these are all things that are constantly being reevaluated. And if you're intentional, they're moving all the time, which you know is is potentially fraught. But reality is not everybody likes change. And I've learned this the hard way. Um, I remember once I I got copied on an email that wasn't supposed to come to me from an executive assistant of one of my executives at when I was at Thomas Nelson. And she said, why does he have to keep making changes? <laughs> <laughs> and then she discovered that she had sent that to me. And so, I mean, she came up to my office and she was, you know, falling on her sword. But I said to her, I said, look, We wouldn't have to make changes except for one thing. We're growing. And growth entails change, right? And so I I think there's some personality types that naturally embrace change. You know, I love change. I'm an Enneagram 3. I don't know if that's relevant or not. Enneagram 7s tend to like it. But, But change for some people is exciting. In fact, I've been known to just get bored with things and kill them because I want some change. Really? Yeah, shocking. But we would uh, never have guessed. I just kind of like to mix up stuff, but not everybody likes that. Some people crave certainty and predictability. In fact, Tony Robbins has this human psychology model. I think he calls it the six human needs. But he says the first two needs, human beings need two things. They need certainty and they need variety. And so if you have only certainty, there's gonna be a lot of people that are gonna get bored. If you have only variety, a lot of people are going to feel like they, they need to throw up and they're going to get seasick because everything's changing so much. Mm-hmm. And I think some personality types have a greater need for one than the other. That, that's exactly right. And I think as a leader, you've got to be able to um, figure out how much change your organization can metabolize at one time. Mm-hmm. Because it is possible to be changing so much that people lose their balance and they feel like there's no certainty. And that, that could be exhausting and it could be threatening. On the other hand, if you go too slow, you may not make the moves you need to make to stay ahead in the industry, to continue to grow as a company, to continue to service your your customers. So I think this is an area of discernment that's more art than science, but it's an important area for leaders to discern is how much change can I introduce without overwhelming people because uh, I don't want to burn them out. 
I wonder if leaders, Megan, also have a kind of default uh, for how much resistance they can tolerate. Mm-hmm. So some leaders tend to go slower with change, maybe too slow, and then some tend to go too fast and not hear the pushback such as you described. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I, I think that's probably true. I think some leaders don't have a high tolerance for resistance and they just steamroll. You know, they, they don't listen and that's their method for dealing with resistance that they don't like. I think it's it's a rare person who is able to sit with the resistance, as we're going to talk about in a minute, and really make that constructive. It's challenging. But I think you're right. The The other alternative is that you just go slow really too slow in order to avoid the conflict, the perceived conflict of resistance, which is really all about fear. You know, one of the things I backed into on change management with this was this idea that what people really need is clarity. And particularly when you've got a major organizational change that you're about to introduce is to start with, here's what's not going to change. If you say that, people can relax and they can hear you. Some people will not be able to hear you if you just like, you know, steamroll into the change and they really can't process that, you know, because the, the narrative gets bigger in their head. Like it's all changing. Mm-hmm. Everything's changing. The ground under my feet is shaking. But if you can start with, okay, look, here's what's not going to change. That It almost creates like an intellectual or an emotional uh, platform, mm-hmm. you know, that's stable upon which you can build that change and it's much easier for them to process. Doesn't mean there won't be some resistance. But I've, I've found that that takes out a lot of resistance when you do it that way. I think that's true. I think people are you know, worried about what does this mean for me? Like, am I going to be left behind? You know, am I going to lose my unique contra? Even this is one that always surprises me that I've had people tell me, you know, am I going to lose my job? I mean, it's amazing mm-hmm. how scared some people are just consistently scared that they're going to be fired or laid off or irrelevant in some way. And it's like a basic survival instinct. But I've had to learn to say, just so we're clear, nobody's jobs are changing or no, you know, we're not, we don't have any staffing changes planned. Um, or just that, you know, the the security that people feel in knowing what their job is and the likelihood when you're proposing a change that that may change and they may not feel confident in their role anymore in the same way. That's a really good point. For us as managers, you know, we don't want to ups- upset people in a, you know, in an unkind way. And I used to work for a guy that actually liked to keep people guessing. You know, he liked to keep people off balance. And I just thought it was just kind of a nasty. It's kind of cruel. Cruel game, you know. And I think it's much better if you're going to process the change, if you're serious about the change, to just go ahead and, and you know, tell people what's not going to change and then let them roll into what is going to change. So challenge number one to overcome is the change challenge, and you do that by providing clarity about what's changing and what's not changing. That brings us to challenge number two, which is the personnel challenge. This is really about helping people see themselves in the picture. You know, it reminds me of recently, we had our annual team meeting, and we had a portion of the meeting where we shared 
um, organizational charts of the whole company. And we did it for the first time with photos, just because we happened to find um, a software solution that had photos built in. It was really cool. If you're interested, it's called Pingboard. Um, Love that app. And we'll put that in the show notes. But anyway, so we we shared these along with our hiring strategies, all that kind of stuff. There were lots of changes that had already been communicated to the people that affected them, that it was affecting before they got there. So there were no surprises. But here's the thing that you will notice if you ever do this. People go immediately to find their picture. Totally. All they care about is where am I and am I still good with it, you know? Well, just look at a group photo. You get right. you get your picture taken in a group photo. The first thing you want to know is are my eyes open? Do I look good? Whatever. Then right. you look at everybody else. Right. right. So if it's a good picture of you and other people have their eyes closed, not a big deal. Right. But you want your eyes open and you want a good smile on your face. Right. I think leaders, on the other hand, naturally get more excited about the big picture. You know, they're looking at the composite what does it mean? Where are we going? All of that. And they you know, may want to focus on a new product line or a new departmental structure. And they really philosophically are bought into that new structure. I've had this experience myself. And if you're not careful, you're not thinking about what does it mean to the people who it's directly affecting? And how are you thinking about how to manage that? Because if you're just thinking about what it makes possible when it's all together, you will miss the individual impact and that can be devastating in your organization. You know, we said before that with the change challenge, the thing that you need is clarity. With the personnel challenge, the thing you need is candor and inclusion. You've got to be direct. You've got to be candid about the changes. You can't downplay it. You can't sugarcoat it. And this builds trust, actually. It may unnerve people some, you know, in the beginning. Like if you say, for example, look, this change is going to mean that some positions are going to be eliminated, or we're going to have to shuffle some positions around, or you know, whatever. You've got to be honest about it out in the front end. I mean, first of all, the more you have figured it out to kind of go to the clarity point, the better it's going to be. But if you have to make the change and you don't have it all figured out, go ahead and say that. Mm -hmm. I think one thing too, we've talked about at other times, I think on the podcast is the idea of cascading communication, you know, so this is where you're intentionally reading in stakeholders kind of from a hierarchical perspective. So you never want people who are the leaders in your organization who are representing this change initiative on your behalf to be unclear or surprised. You also don't want people who maybe are having their positions eliminated or changed. You don't want those people to find out that in the context of a big team meeting where their heads are spinning and they're humiliated and terrified. You want to handle that and reassure them and, you know, have all that that communication handled before you get to the big meeting. And this is something leaders miss because they're so focused on the big picture that they forget all these steps of communication. And the goal, in my mind, is that when you finally get to the big team meeting, when you're going to roll out, you know, the, the big vision or the big change, that anybody who's directly affected is sitting there knowing what's coming. They're right. not surprised. And this takes a lot of coordination. It takes a lot of um, choreography to get there. It's a lot of work and it's a lot of contingency planning, but it's so worth it because you are able to maintain trust with your team as you go, which, I mean, you can destroy that in an instant at an all-team meeting where you announce something like we, that. We have a name for that that we teach our coaching clients called Cascading Communication, but it starts at the top, cascades down to the next level, and then cascades down to the next level. So that you give the supervisors at each level the benefit of knowing before uh, the next level goes down. And that works really, really well. I do want to say something about being inclusive. Um, To the extent that you can, and it depends on the change. Some change is going to be great. It's going to create jobs, right? I mean, we've we've got some change underway right now. We've got, I don't know, eight, nine, ten different positions posted on our website right now. But uh, to be inclusive and tell people or assure people that they have a place in the future – 
For some people, for most people, hopefully it's going to mean they're going to keep doing what they're doing. For others, there may be some changes, which again, you need to discuss before you announce this publicly, but emphasize that if they're willing to grow, there's a place for them. Mm -hmm. I think that's critical because I don't feel like it's, you know, I'm not a parent. This isn't a family. I don't have a responsibility to provide a job or to make a place for you. You've got a responsibility to make a place for yourself. I'm going to give you every opportunity, but you've got to grow if you want to have a place in the future. Does that make sense? Totally. I think that's a good balance. Uh, that that feels healthy to me because I think uh, you can kind of wield that change conversation in a way that creates mass uncertainty in a way that's really unproductive, or you can use a little bit of that uncertainty to spur people to grow in a way that is productive and that's ultimately healthy for, for the organization and for your team. And, and to use a word we've used before to remind them that they have agency in this. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not just being whipsawed by the whims of management. But, and, and again, this is my my style and what I want to do. I want to communicate, no, you've got a place in this. If you want a place in the future, you know, we're collectively going to make this happen. I really like that, Michael, because I've seen some leaders uh, soft pedal the change or cater to people who are stakeholders they didn't want to upset by promising them, you know, for you, nothing's going to change, which wasn't best for the organization, or protect positions that really needed to be either retired or altered uh, for that same reason. But allowing people to step up into something new, I think is very empowering. I do too. You know, one of the things that can happen is you can think you have somebody on your team who's kind of dead weight or, you know, just really not a high contributor. And one of the things that I've seen happen, I actually had a conversation with um, somebody I met at a kind of mastermind event recently talking about somebody on his team who he was convinced he was going to have to let go. It was actually a, a handful of people from a previous kind of administration that he took over. And over the course of our time together, it it, it kind of dawned on him that maybe the problem problem with those people was the leader that had left, you know, but who was really in charge of them Mm. and not the people themselves. And that with his communication of vision and clear goals and developing them, that they might be salvageable. I think that's important because um, sometimes that's really possible. Sometimes it's not. And we have to deal with that very directly, but it's important to know the difference between those things. Yeah, people can be capable of more than you think and of handling more than you think they can. You've said that often, uh, Michael and Megan both, is to give people some respect that Absolutely. they can handle it. You know, I think it's it's easy as leaders to think that people are fragile and weak and small. And I think that we've got to see them bigger than they see themselves. You know, people can handle most anything. And I think your expectation as a leader can create that or help create that reality for them. One of the things that can really help when you're communicating change is to remind people what's in it for them. So like we're talking about up to this point, there there potentially are perceived negative impacts of change and you really have to manage those carefully. There's also potential upside, new positions, bonus opportunities, promotions, things like that. If those are possibilities that you see, you need to be really clear about communicating them because everybody's concerned about what does this mean for me negatively, but also positively. Yes. And if you're you know, introducing a goal that means you're going to be exceeding your budget in a significant way, if there's an upside on your bonus plan for that, go ahead and quantify that for people. Really make it tangible what this means for them because most people get really excited when they understand that there's a personal upside. Not just the company's going to win, but but as a result, they're also going to win. And I think we forget that again because we're so focused on the big picture that we forget to kind of like pull that down to an individual contributor level where people understand what's at stake for them personally in a good way. I just thought of another thing that's similar to this. And that is, 
you've got to give the why behind the what. Mm -hmm. You know, I think sometimes the why is obvious why we're making this change. And so often it's not readily apparent to the people we're trying to lead. And if we don't speak it, they can't read our minds. You know, you can't read the mind of your spouse. You can't read the mind of your best friend. You can't read the mind of your boss. If you're not clear and articulate about that and say, this is exactly why we're doing this, then people are going to start making up the why. Well, they're doing that to, to cut costs or they're doing that so the owner can put more profit in his pocket. Mm -hmm. You know, all these different kinds of whys. And that's why it's important to say, no, we're doing this because we're, you know, for example, we're heading into some economic headwinds. And we kind of want to, you know, trim the sails and make sure that we can get through this so as many of us as can, you know, can survive and thrive, you know, in this new economy. So challenge number two is the personnel challenge. And you overcome that challenge with candor tempered by inclusion. Remember that people want to know what's happening, but they want to see themselves in the picture. So that brings us to challenge three, which is the feedback challenge. This is a big one um, because this is really not external. This is a challenge that a leader faces within him or herself. You know, this is in your own head. And many of us are not in the right headspace to take feedback from our team. You know, we are super pumped and gung-ho about our plan and we really don't want to be slowed down by feedback because there's usually a sense of urgency and we got to get this done right now. And when you get kind of mired in feedback from your team, this is hard. You know, this slows you down and potentially threatens the whole project. And I think that that can be really difficult to allow to happen, but you you cannot avoid this or you, you can't avoid it, but you'll avoid it at your own peril. You know, I've seen this before when people try to create a vision for their company, like I talk about in The Vision Driven Leader, my new book. But, you know, the leader goes off, as I recommend, and comes up with a vision. And I say to him, look, you're not Moses coming down from Sinai. This is wet cement. And you can't get married to the vision at this point. You've got to hold it, you know, with open hands. Come back to your team and solicit their feedback. But too often what happens is they do get married to the vision. They think they've thought through everything. And then they get into a mode where they start defending the vision mm -hmm. instead of folding in the input. Here's the truth. People see things you don't see. Mm -hmm. They notice things you couldn't possibly know. And so if you don't fold in their perspective and consider it, you're not going to end up with the best vision or the best change that you're trying to implement in your company. So you've got to listen carefully. You've got to be open to feedback. And I think... You know, one of the things I've said before on this show is you've got to create this environment that's safe for dissent, where people feel like they can push back. If they don't, if they catch either from your explicit language or your body language that you're not open to feedback, they'll shut down because people are going to preserve themselves at all costs. And if they think that it's personally threatening to their job or their future, they're just not going to go out on a limb. So it's up to you to communicate with your, you know, your your verbal signals, with your body language, with everything else that you want their feedback. And if they don't give you feedback, if you if you share the change or share the vision and it's crickets, you've got to call people out. You've got to say, Megan, what do you think of this? And I want you to be honest with me. You know, I it, it's totally safe. I want you to be honest with me because I, I need your input to make this the best it can be. And what people will do typically in a meeting like that is somebody will uh, send up a trial balloon. You know, something small, and they'll just say, 
Well, you know, I think it's pretty good, but there's this one little thing I tweak. Now, what they're doing is it's not that that's all they've got to share. Right. That's just the the smallest risk to them, and they're going to test you. If that doesn't go well, then trust me, they're not going to share anything else. If that goes well, then somebody might share a little bigger one. But it's not surprising that so often the biggest change, the biggest resistance comes at the very end of the meeting, right before you dismiss. It's just like when you go to therapy, (laughs) you basically waste the first 40 minutes of your 50 minute session on trivial issues. And then at the very end, you bring out the big one. And usually that last 10 minutes is very valuable. But you know, you've really resisted it all the way to the end. And I think don't ask you how you know this. Oh, I know. I've done a lot of therapy. So I have done this myself many times. But I I think that what you're saying is really important, because the the feedback, and even the resistance from your team will ultimately make you better. And that has to be your mindset going into these conversations, where it's not about, are they willing to support you? Are they going to get behind what you want? You know, are they on your team or not? It's really about if you're really committed to your vision, it's really about how can we make this the very best version of this possible? And you need to go through the trial period before you're ready to roll this out if it's really going to happen. So this is a gift in disguise, but you have to be mature about how you engage with it. One of the point about that conversation around the table when you're introducing the vision to your smaller team, when somebody voices an objection, don't immediately, reflexively fall back into defense mode. Instead, force yourself, discipline yourself to ask another question. In fact, ask two or three questions. You want to make sure that they get it all out and that you fully understand it, right? So if you, again, this is just a way to shut it down. You think, well, we're just being reasonable. We're just having a debate here. Look, there's a power differential. Mm -hmm. You're not on the same plane. You can come off more heavy-handed than you think just by raising an objection. So don't do that. Ask a question. Invite them to say more. Okay. So you guys have both introduced a fair amount of change in your lives. Have you ever experienced this where you learned something from the pushback or the comments that you got? Well, we don't ever get pushback. So (laughs) just kidding. We get lots of pushback. Um, This actually happened to me yesterday. In fact, in a meeting, it's funny that we're recording this today. So I have been working on a project that I wanted to roll out to our executive team as kind of the first step, um, all about improving our customer and client experiences in some really exciting ways that I just knew they would be so pumped about. Um, And they were excited, but they also had some really uh, constructive feedback about the challenges that would be a part of uh, implementing those changes and, you know, just some things that I hadn't thought of. And just like everybody else, my first instinct was to be defensive. You know, I was a little bit disappointed because even though it wasn't really my expectation that it would, you know, be received without any pushback secretly, I kind of hoped that they would just be as wowed as I was, you know, like Mm -hmm. we all have that feeling. Um, But I'll tell you what, the feedback that they had was really, really helpful. And I know ultimately is going to make the project so much better. It may change the timeline. It may change how we kind of phase it out. um, And I have to be open to that. But I know that the outcome will be so much better. The other thing that was interesting about that is, you know, if you've ever been in a situation where someone has rolled out change and you've had feedback to give, it can be challenging to know how to do that. You know, are you just really bold and you just say like, this is terrible, (laughs) you know, right from the beginning? Or do you sort of, you know, tiptoe up to the edge and see how it goes? Well, Chad Cannon, our chief sales officer, 
um, I think did a really good job of sharing some input with me. He was genuinely really supportive and really encouraging about a handful of things that he loved about the project. And I could tell was excited about it. But then he was also equally honest about what he saw as the challenges. And I think that helped. I mean, you're not always mm-hmm. going to get that from your people. Uh, I think uh, he has a, a high tolerance for change and is generally enthusiastic about it. But if you can, if you're giving feedback, if you can, you know, remember that your boss is a human <laughs> and probably kind of insecure about sharing, you know, as I was. I mean, it's vulnerable to share change, especially with your key stakeholders. If there are things you can legitimately affirm, it's so helpful. You know, it's kind of like that sandwich idea of you have a positive thing and then the negative thing and then something positive. If if your boss can feel that you're supportive and that you're really for him or her, but that you're also, because of that, willing to share constructive feedback, um, that's kind of your best case scenario. So depending on which end of this you are, and most of us will be on both at one time or the other, I think those are some helpful takeaways from my my experience maybe. You know, my favorite line there was, your boss is a human too. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of easy to forget. Like, I forget you're a human all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, probably some things I do don't help. So today we've learned that every leader can overcome resistance to change by addressing these three challenges. The change challenge, which you overcome with clarity about what's changing and what's not. The personnel challenge that you overcome with candor and inclusion. Let people know exactly where they are in the picture. And the feedback challenge, which you overcome with objectivity about the change and a willingness to listen to feedback. What final thoughts do you have for our listeners? Well, I love this topic because it's so present to me all the time because we have a lot of change, you know, nonstop. And I think that's probably true for our listeners, too. This is one of those things, if you're a leader and you're um, endeavoring to lead a high-growth organization that's innovative, it's going to come up constantly for you. So this is an area that we have to master. And I think the good news is you can master it, but it does take practice. You're not going to be great at it from the beginning, but it takes practice and it takes emotional intelligence and it takes a commitment to managing it well and mastering it. And I hope that these uh, tips that we've given today help people down that road. You know, change is the one constant in business. And like you said, Meg, this is something we have to get good at. And the better we get at it, the faster our companies can change and move into the future. So if you're really pursuing an important vision, something that, you know, you really want to accomplish, the better you are at change management, the more likely you are to achieve that vision and the more likely you're going to be able to process it in your organization in a healthy way. Well, good stuff today. Both of you, very helpful stuff that I know is going to impact a lot of leaders. Well, thank you, Larry. And thank you, Megan. Thanks to all of you for listening to us. And join us next week. We'll have another episode. Until then, lead to win. Before you head off, make sure that you go check out our new tool, The Ideal Work and Life Designer, that's only at michaelhyatt.com slash designer.